tonight I'd like to begin the dialogue about how to bring our lives more fully into our meditation practice. That might sound different than you've usually heard it. (laughs) Usually we say how to bring our meditation practice into our lives. But one of the teachers in California has turned that around, which is really much more appropriate. How do we bring our life into our meditation practice so that the meditation is really more in the foreground (laughs) and the way we live our life and the habits and our behaviors and our, our plans and desires all fit into that. So that's how I'm wanting to approach this now. So we've been cultivating this mindful attention while we've been here and as we've, we probably understand by now, hopefully, that we're not doing that in order to gain more experiences for ourselves, so that we're, we, we're not leaving here saying, oh, I had this experience and that experience, and that determines how well my retreat went. But we're actually cultivating this mindful attention so that we can deepen our insight into the nature of our existence, and be liberated from our suffering, be liberated from the pain that we feel in our lives. And in that respect, the retreat doesn't actually end tomorrow. (laughs) The meditation doesn't end tomorrow for most of you. The mindfulness continues so that we can continue to look into the causes and the conditions for our suffering. How do we do that? when we can't have this kind of subtle perception that we do when we're here on retreat. Because when we're back in the busyness of our lives, there's so much impacting on us that it seems like it's, so many people say, it's not really possible to be mindful. But I think that that's really not the case. I think that when we really do understand what mindfulness is, that it's more possible to bring it into our daily lives. Mindfulness being that uh, intention to know what's going on. Just that intention to stay awake with whatever we're doing, whenever we're doing it. Using that conscious awake aspect of our minds, of our beings, to pay attention, to stay awake in our lives. The Buddha lays out the Eightfold Noble Path as a pathway to help us find our way in the world. One of those, one of those factors in the Noble Path is called wise intention or wise thought, the second factor in the Noble Path. I won't go through the other ones right now because it's easy to get access to know what those are. But the second one, a very important one in the world, is that of wise intention, a wise thought. And we've been talking about thought quite a lot in the last days of this retreat. And I really feel that bringing mindfulness to the way that we're thinking and imaging in the world is a key place to, to be able to transform and redirect our reality. Basically, right intention or wise intention 
means that wherever we direct our intentions is what we will draw to us. Whatever we aim at is what we're likely to get. (laughs) If I really want a relationship, I'm probably going to keep aiming my intention at making that happen, go to the places that I think I might meet the right people, or keep that thought very much alive, talk to my friends about it, just keep that alive until it actually comes into manifestation. If I want a job, I start looking through the newspapers, talking to my friends, making telephone calls, the intention to bring that into my reality. This intention bringing results, bringing intentions and then the actions and the results, is actually a law of the way things are. It's not random. If I aim for something, there's much more likelihood that that is the result I'm going to get. This law of cause and effect is called karma. This is the law of karma. And the Buddha called this this law of karma the light of the world because it illuminates why things are the way they are. It shows us really simply how things are unfolding the way that they do. Karma is simply the understanding that our actions bring results. That our actions bring results. And with awareness, there is the possibility to pay attention to what actions we're taking because certain actions are going to bring certain results. And we might want to ask ourselves, was that actually the result I want? Because you probably heard you have to be careful what you ask for because you might get it. (laughs) This is the law of karma. If we look closely with mindful attention, what we can see is that each volition in the mind, each impulse in the mind towards action is like a seed with tremendous potential. It's like, you know, this big oak tree we have out front on our our lawn, massively big oak tree, one of the most beautiful oak trees I've ever seen. And it drops all these acorns in the fall. And then the acorns are really small, really small. But the smallest acorn contains the potential of that great oak tree. Every one of those little acorns can grow that gorgeous old big oak tree out there. And in the same way, each of our willed actions contains the seed of our karmic results. It's like they, they hold this, this potential within our own minds. But because they contain the seed of our karmic results doesn't mean that they're predetermined. Sometimes it gets understood or misunderstood that all of this is already redirected in a predetermined way and we don't really have any choice in the matter. But it doesn't seem to be like that. It seems that the result is much more dependent on the quality of our mind associated with each of the volitions or the intentions. 
that the mind state that we actually bring to that volition, action, volition and action is what is going to determine the result. For example, the image that I had was like that volition being like the beginning of a thread that weaves through the intention, the action, and the result. And if that, in- if that thread is woven with greed and hatred and delusion, what kind of result is that going to bring? But if that thread is woven with love and compassion and renunciation or letting go, what kind of result is that going to bring? For example, very simple, I mean simple example, if I, if I talk to somebody with anger and disrespect, what kind of result is that going to bring me in that relationship? But if I talk to that person with respect and kindness and trying to understand what's happening in the situation, what kind of result is that going to bring? This is so important because it points to the potential that each of us have to shape our reality. That we actually have some influence in our reality and how that's shaped. This is from the Dhammapada, one of the Buddhist teachings. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. Speak and act with a pure mind and happiness will follow you as your shadow, unshakable. Very profound words that point to the power of this intention. In order to really bring about our transformation and to have some influence in that transformation, it's necessary to pay attention to these impulses and thoughts that arise in the mind. This is a huge first step. Sometimes when I say we need to pay attention to impulses and thoughts, people say, pay attention? I don't know what's going on in my mind. I'm lucky if I can pay attention, if in a day I can catch one thought that I have. Sometimes it's like that. And again, the teachings are pointing to the importance of, of awakening that mindfulness cultivating the mindful attention within ourselves so that we can see that this can be cultivated. We can break the habit of confusion or delusion in the mind that that, that interferes with clear seeing. That through the practice we can awaken clear seeing and understanding. So we must start with practice, with mindfulness, And in that, we begin to pay attention to those impulses and thoughts. Impulses are something when when the mind is really refined, we can actually feel 
almost the energetic or electric energy that starts to arise in the body just as we're starting to take action. And on, on long retreats, or not even long retreats, when I used to do my 10-day retreats with Joseph Goldstein, about the seventh day of the retreat, the instruction was always, today we're going to pay attention to intention. And I would all, then I would kind of contract because I knew that that was the hardest thing to pay attention to. And he would say, you only pay attention, only pay attention to the gross intentions like when you're walking out of the door and your hand touches the knob. Notice the intention to turn the knob. And it took a great deal of mindfulness to have to stop long enough and just feel the impulse, that about-to moment when my hand was about to turn the knob on the door. (laughs) And I would just dread that because it took so much effort It took so much more attention to start to mark those impulses or those intentions to act, like the moment that I'm going to pick up the fork. Notice the intention to move the arm to pick up the fork. Some people don't like to practice like this. It's another kind of practice. It's a practice that, you know, really, really refining the attention. And yet, the more that I understand the teachings as the years go by, I have more respect and understanding why Joseph wanted us to watch those intentions, because it's those impulses that begin that whole train of events. The impulse, the thought, the body starts to move, the speech, the action, and then the result, the consequence of that whole movement that begins. So, understanding the sequence of how things unfold, it may awaken some sense of interest or urgency to begin to pay attention. The Buddha says, whatever one frequently thinks or ponders on, that will be the inclination of their mind. Whatever one frequently thinks about, that's, the, that's where the mind's going to go. That's going to incline the mind, either incline the mind towards, towards more ill will, towards anger, towards um, confusion. If we dwell in that, we incline the mind that way, it just reinforces that, 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 that habit of mind. But if I incline the mind to think or ponder upon generosity or doing kind acts or uh, taking care of myself or meditation, that's the way the mind inclines. Those are the tendencies that arise in the mind. For example, there was, for you to come to this retreat, there needed to be some impulse. (laughs) There needed to be some impulse and intention that arose within yourself. And that was a wholesome intention. That was an intention that gave rise to all the thoughts and all the actions that needed to fall into place for you to actually get here. You know, making arrangements with your partners or clearing out time in your week or 
take have get, making sure your children are taken care of and and things are covered at the office and that you had a ride and you had enough money and all those conditions all those conditions had to come together from that one impulse that impulse that this is what I need to be to do this is where I need to go I need to go to God's house and then, through that, this whole arising of this whole reality on which you are now participating in. And it gives rise to tremendous wholesome qualities. Wholesome qualities of, of compassion and wisdom, understanding, nurturing, generosity. All these conditions of mind and heart begin to arise and come together just through that one impulse. very powerful when we start to see the whole sequence. Every thought, word, and action has its result, has its consequence. And if we really want to transform, we must understand this deeply because otherwise we may think it's quite random. You know, or it's all an act of grace. That we don't have any input at all as to the destiny of our futures. But we do. Another, another teaching of the Buddha, the thought manifests as the word. The thought manifests as the word. The word manifests as the deed. The deed develops into habit, and habit hardens into character. So watch the thought and its ways with care and let it spring from love, born out of concern for all beings. The thought manifests the word. The thought, the impulse starts to move the body, speech, actions, habits. Then they start forming into habits and that forms the character, the personality. That's a little daunting, actually. It was for me when I started to really understand that. I thought, oh, what, what habits have I hardened into? <laughs> you know, they become quite solid now. But fortunately, they never become solid enough that we're not able to still begin the dismantling process. Because ultimately, nothing is really that solid once we see through with wisdom. We're not victims of our own minds. It can seem like that when there isn't the wisdom and the clarity to see what's happening. But the mind is actually very pliable. It's very flexible. And when we deepen in our meditation, and particularly in deep states of concentration, we see how the mind is not fixed at all, but continually in this movement. And through just one intention, we can redirect what's happening in the mind. We can say, okay, I want to go back to the breath. And with that intentionality, all of a sudden, we're connecting with the breath. Or we have the intention to soften around the pain instead of resist the pain. And through that intention, we start to soften. 
through that intention to take care of ourselves, things start to shift and move. It seems like a very important factor in the journey of this unfolding or this dismantling is the factor of discrimination, which I was talking a little about this morning, that that factor of awareness or the characteristic of awareness which is called discrimination. It is inherent in awareness itself. When we are aware, there is the discrimination. What do we want to discriminate? What's important to discriminate in our own minds? The Buddha says, pay attention to when the mind inclines towards negativity, when it inclines towards thoughts of of ill will and cruelty and anger. Watch when it inclines that way. And and watch when it inclines towards thoughts of wholesomeness or love and compassion and generosity. And through that discrimination, have the intention not to follow the thoughts that are leading towards more negativity and follow the thoughts that are leading more towards love and letting go. Very interesting because the practice is often one of letting go, letting go, let go. Don't pay, you know, don't really listen to your thoughts. Don't pay attention to your thoughts. Let them go so you have a still empty mind. But it's something's missing in understanding what the Buddha really taught. Because the Buddha taught about wise thought, how to work with our thoughts so that they lead to transformation and liberation. So he says, don't follow the thoughts that lead to more pain and suffering. Follow the thoughts that lead to more happiness and liberation. Follow those thoughts. If I have a thought that says I really should go to a meditation retreat because I'm feeling really stressed out and burned out, follow that thought. (laughs) If I have a thought that says, oh, it's um, my niece's birthday and I really would like to do something for her this year because the last five years I've just forgotten and I've spaced it out. Instead of just letting that thought pass through (laughs) like they so easily do, they arise and then they dissolve. Catch that thought. Ah, a thought of generosity. Follow that thought. Don't let it just pass through. Very interesting when I started actually practicing with this because I noticed how many thoughts of generosity arose that if I didn't pay very close attention to them, they would be gone the next moment. And so I actually started taking that on as a practice that when I noticed that I had a kind thought (laughs) to give somebody a call or to buy somebody a gift or... um, Uh, check in on somebody who is ill. I've really made it a practice to pay attention to that and follow through with the action because it's so easy for the habit to take over and the habit being one of self-indulgence. Oh, well, now I've got better things to do. um, I'm really tired and I need to go take a nap (laughs) or I'm hungry and I need to go get some food or whatever it is. But just seeing, you know, is, it, is there something that can be cultivated there? Some 
some wholesome qualities of mind that actually can be strengthened and reinforced. Very important in our practice as we go back out in the world. We can actually see very clearly the immediate effects of our thoughts. We've been talking about the relationship between thought on the feeling life, thought on the emotional life. And in a way we might call this the immediate karmic result. The feeling life is the immediate karmic result of a thought. For example, when I have a thought of intense ill will towards somebody, that thought, I really, that, oh, I really hate that person. What immediately happens is that the body starts to contract. We feel shut off and isolated and separate. It's like an immediate karmic result that we, we, we get from that arising, from that impulse. Or if we have a very strong, intense desire to have something, um, like a cigarette. <laughs> Just that in- we, we, there's no cigarettes around for a mile, but we need that cigarette, and that intense longing arises. We'll feel that agitation, that restlessness within ourselves. It's just it's very unpleasant, that, ag- that agitation that arises through that longing that can't be fulfilled. Or if I have a, if I have a very cruel thought towards somebody, those, those intensely cruel thoughts that arise sometimes, we can feel that, that heat and that burning that arises within our bodies. It's that, it's that immediate karmic result. And if we follow these thoughts and these feelings, we start acting on them more, we think about it more, the thoughts go around and around, we start increasing that, that, that irritation and that anxiety. It gives rise to a whole complexity of feelings. There's more anger. Anger at ourselves, shame and guilt for what we're feeling. We feel hurt, we feel betrayed. It's like this whole complex comes into, into life and it's, it is like a big ball of suffering. We can, with awareness, we can stop that anywhere along the line if we see it if we see the arising of those unwholesome thoughts. It's like, it's like with the wisdom, we start to say, uh-oh, if I keep walking down that road, I'm going to wind up somewhere that I don't want to be. <laughs> we start to have a sense of the, where we're going to wind up. There's a, we start to bring that into awareness. And we say, I don't want to walk down that road. We can see this very much around addictions, strong addictions, which are very strong, strong in mind-body. Alcohol, food, sex, uh, gambling, um, lots of, lots of uh, uh, addictions that, that many, many people have. The force is so strong in the mind that it's very difficult to circumvent. It's very, very hard to stop the whole body moving into the action. 
But as one brings about more awareness of the whole sequence of events, it's possible to stop that action somewhere along the way. Maybe even if it's just before we reach for that piece of cake. You know, maybe we would have gotten up in the middle of the night and gone into the kitchen and, and opened the refrigerator and cut the cake and we're just about to put it in the mouth and we see it, we see what we're doing and we use everything we can to stop that whole journey that's going to bring us more pain in the long run. Starting to see the whole sequence of events here on the other hand, if we have thoughts of metta, a thought of kindness towards somebody, or a thought of compassion towards wanting to alleviate somebody's pain, and we follow that thought, what we find is there's an associated feeling of feeling somewhat uplifted and happy and a sense of, of, of satisfaction and peace in ourselves, we feel the immediate karmic results of that thought. And we, if we follow that, if we follow that one further out, we actually take the action to make the phone call or to uh, do something that will take care of ourselves, some, some positive, wholesome action that widens out and that expands like ripples in a pond. And we feel the, the whole wholesome energetic effect of that consequence. We benefit ourselves in that way. We benefit others as we see that whole effect. So we can practice if it starts to make sense to us, if we start to have some sense of how this might take effect in our lives. I remember when I was traveling in India with my partner a few years ago, four four years ago or so, and I was just starting to have some sense of that, how the mind inclines. And it said that certain people's minds incline more towards greed and desire and lust of the wanting mind. And some people's minds incline more towards aversion and anger and disgust. Well, my mind (laughs) inclines more towards aversion and anger and disgust. And when I was traveling in India, what would happen is that I would find that I continually was looking at all the disgusting things that were around. I would look at the, the filth in the gutters in the street, and when I would look at the sick and ailing donkeys pulling the rickshaws in the polluted <laughs> streets, and I would see the, um, eld- the old man dying on the side of the, of the road, the, 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 the ailing children, and every, that's all I could see. I would just see everything that was awful. And my, after, after this is going on for about three, four years, actually, because I've, I've been going there for four or five years already. And I was traveling with my partner, and we were starting to have some, you know, quite a lot of discussion about this, because <laughs> I would just be in such a state. 
I'm just, you know, could just feel so miserable and do I want to be in India and oh, it's just awful here. And so he would say, I remember we were driving, riding on a bus and my, I would turn, it was the bus was driving through the, through the village and I would see this uh, pollution, this um, black smoke, smoke coming out of a tractor and I would just be looking at it and just feeling this disgust. And he would say, look at that beautiful blue parrot over there. Do you see that parrot flying in the, in the sky? And he'd say, oh, look at that woman's sari. Look at the, the brilliance of the colors on her, on her clothes. And then, you know, I'd look and say, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then my mind would incline back to something really disgusting in, on the bus. <laughs> and then he'd say, look at that beautiful man, how he's sitting there with this beautiful smile and his, and his child sitting next to him, just so happy. And I'd look and he'd oh, yeah. <laughs> And this would keep going on. And, and, and I, I can't tell you that after a month, probably a month, my mind started inclining the other way. I started noticing the beautiful flowers, the hibiscus flowers on the trees that I couldn't see before. And I would notice the, 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 the beautiful birds that were they're flying all around in the sky. And then I would start to actually direct my attention that way. When I would notice that my mind was just starting to <laughs> incline towards something ugly and disgusting, I'd catch it. And I'd say, no, I don't need to go there. I could see something beautiful. And it wasn't because, it wasn't like we were talking last night. It wasn't that my mind needed to go and look at those things so that my heart would open in compassion. That wasn't happening. All I was doing was being, was being drowned in sorrow and grief. I was not being uplifted and my heart was not opening. <laughs> it was just pulling me down into more weakness and more instability in my being to the point that I just wanted to run away. There wasn't any ability to uplift myself at that time. So what was needed was that support of beauty, of love, of, of, of the heart qualities. I needed to practice that so my mind would stabilize stabilize so that I, my mind wouldn't keep falling into the extreme of negativity and disgust. I actually needed to balance the mind so that I was also experience the beauty and the joy of life. Very powerful. And I still see the tendency of mind to go to something I don't like, something that I can be critical of or uh, get irritated about or angry. And I see it now. It's, well, I don't always see it. But I, that's my practice, is to not incline there unless it's useful, unless I feel that following that is going to bring about something that's going to help me. It's going to be insightful. It's going to be useful. It's going to bring me to more peace and happiness in some way. 
And so when the discrimination gets sharper like that, we can actually start working with the mind in quite a direct and powerful way. Because we see which way it's falling. Am I falling into a hole again? (laughs) Am I falling into something that is just feeling so uncomfortable and painful and it's a place I don't want to be? And as we start to have more strength, we can bring in we can start to master, be more of a master of our reality, a master of our mind. We don't have to just be victims. And it doesn't have to just all feel like it's happening at random, which it can feel like sometimes. We can feel so out of control, like we have no control at all of the way things are unfolding or the way things are happening. But we find, at, we find as we start to, to feel into these teachings more that we actually have a choice. And in reading the text of the Buddha over this last year or so, I'm, I was really so surprised to find out how much emphasis he puts on choice. And that sense of really making the choice, taking the choice for our own liberation and transformation, that the responsibility is really up to us, is up to each one of us, and that we can take the steps for that wholesome reality to be our own reality. But letting go of these old patterns is not easy, and I don't want to in any way imply that, you know, we can just do it. (laughs) Because patterns of mind, the habits of mind are so strong. It's years of conditioning of these old ways, these old habits of being. My, every time I say years of conditioning, my teacher Papaji's voice comes in and says, millions of years of conditioning, <laughs> millions upon millions of years of these forces been, been playing in your consciousness, you know, which then, of course, makes us understand why it's so hard to uproot these difficult tendencies of mind. But whether we believe in past lives or not, just within this life, It seems like that force has been going on for so long, and it's so hard. And so this is where we have to develop as much as we can the qualities of patience and compassion (laughs) and letting go as much as we can, because it's not an easy path necessarily. We'll fall into that hole again and again and again. And all we can do is just hopefully recognize that we're in the hole and get up (laughs) and start again, start again, start fresh. When we start to let go, when we start to let go of these patterns, we start to let go of how we know ourselves to be, that security and familiarity that we feel in those patterns starts to feel incredibly uncomfortable. 
And that ego structure that's holding that all together starts to feel quite threatened by this. (laughs) It doesn't like this. It feels very scary because we don't know what we're walking into. It's a whole new unknown territory that we begin to walk into. One man on one of the retreats last summer said something very interesting when we were talking about this. He said, I've wrapped my identity around this anger for my whole life. And when it's not there, I start feeling restless. I feel bored. He said, sometimes I can feel that underlying fear, underlying the boredom, underlying the restless. But then it feels like there's nothing and I don't know who I am. It feels like there's nothing and I don't know who I am. So we do have to go quite gently. We do have to go gently because <laughs> we won't know who we are at times. It'll be all new, unfamiliar. And yet in that, there's inc- there can be incredible exhilaration, incredible excitement and sense of relief, and also a sense of congruence and a feeling of the fragmentation starting to dissolve and coming more into a sense of wholeness and truth, which then gives us the strength to go on. (laughs) It gives us the strength to face even some of our greater challenges that are ahead. So maybe I'll end there. Let's sit for a few minutes together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.